0: We're talking about a heart like a heart like his what is it what does it mean to have a heart like God's what so a big part of of this whole story of David is that God is preparing David he's working things out in David's heart he's preparing him to be king now he's he's he has a heart after God he's he's shown that he has a heart for God but uh things don't always work out the way we expect them to work out have you found that to be true i mean it's you know it's not always F the way you expected it it's so i titled this today this is harder than i expected and have you found anything that's not harder than you expected i mean uh marriage Amen. is is harder than you expected it to be because you just loved each other so much that you weren't gonna have any problems, you weren't gonna have any arguments, you weren't gonna have any difficulties. Maybe you didn't ever think that. Maybe you were not that deceived by the romantic view of marriage. But, you know, then children, we think, you know, and children are wonderful. Children are awesome. And you should have as many as you, especially my kids, should have a lot of kids. but it's also, it's much harder than you expect it's going to be. And, and every age, you know, there, there's the challenges of birth and then newborns and changing diapers and feeding all hours of the day and night. Uh, then that evolves into what we often call, uh, because, of behavior, because they really learn to say the word no really well, uh, terrible twos and then it just continues every every age is a different challenge everything changes you know it's, it's not like oh well you get them through two then it's gonna be smooth sailing the rest of the way then you know then it's then it's kindergarten then it's then they become teenagers and and you think can i is there any way to send them back uh uh because you just have struggles it's harder than you expected uh life jobs uh, everything so david has been anointed by samuel to be the king of israel uh we we a couple weeks ago, we realized that, that Saul was anointed to be king and he was anointed for seven days when God took away his anointing. Then, so then the next, the next 40 years, he reigns in Israel without, without God's anointing. And 27 years into that reign, 12 years. He's anointed. Saul is anointed 12 years before David is even born. And God says, I'm going to, I'm choosing a man after my own heart. David's not even born yet. Then David is born. And then about 15 years later, uh, Samuel shows up at his house and anoints him as the King of Israel. Now, nobody knows this, but David and his family and Samuel. So, He's, you know, so David doesn't really know how this is going to play out. Samuel doesn't, Samuel doesn't give him an instruction book. Now that you are king, here's what you do next. And sometimes that's the way life is for us too. God moves us along a path and God shows us a destiny and he shows us where we're going to be, but we don't know how we're going to get there. We don't understand the steps. And so, this, we, and we, and we want God to show us step 10 when it's time for step one. You know, we want to know how's this going to work out? And you know what God says? Trust me. You're like, well, okay. If you'll show me <laughs> what's going to happen, then I'll trust you. It's not the way it works. So, so David's just killed Goliath. Uh, he's in, then he's in right in the middle of God's will. He's doing exactly what God's called him to do. And things turn very miserable, very quick. And so for the next 13 years or so, David is running from Saul. And Saul is trying to kill him. And this is kind of the beginnings of that. So if you're David and you think, okay, I'm right in the middle of God's will. I've just killed Goliath. I'm doing God's will. What, this is not happening the way I expected it would happen. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea what David expected. Did he expect that he was going to kill Goliath? Then he was going go back and Saul's going to say, you're the king. I resign. See, I'm going to move to the mountain and see y'all later. He you know, we don't know what David expected, but he didn't know how this was going to play out. And it plays out for about 13 years of misery, one miserable thing after another. So what does that mean? When we're in misery, what does it mean? Does it mean that God doesn't love us like he loves other people that aren't in misery? I mean, here David's anointed to be king, and because he's anointed to be king, his life is more miserable than people who are not anointed to be king. Do you get that? Him being chosen by God makes his life not easier, but more difficult. Sometimes we You know, we, we think, you know, come to Christ and all your problems will be solved. And that's not true. You just get another set of problems, not the same ones and God's with you and it's, but we need to recognize that that's the reality. Uh, So does it mean that God doesn't love you like he loves other people because they don't have problems? Is God punishing you? This is not what I expected. What does it mean? So David kills Goliath, it's headline news all over Israel, it's a big deal. Uh, David saves Israel from the Philistines, and for a little while, for a little while, even Saul is excited about that. So David is killing Philistines for Saul, 1 Samuel 18, 20, 18 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So after he kills Goliath, there's a season here that Saul sets him over all of the army. Now he's, he's just, you know, he's just a young lad, but you know, he did just kill Goliath when everybody else was afraid to. So it kind of elevates him to a place of prominence. He could be 15. He could be seven. You know, we're not, this is not a real exact, but probably he's 15, 17 years old. We don't know how long this period is, but, uh, so Saul sets him over all the army and he's going in the, the term in the Bible, which was he, he was able to go in, go out and come back in. That uses that term frequently. He still had the strength to go out and come back in. That, that was to go out and fight battles and come back in. He had the strength to go out and fight and come back in. He survived. Because if you don't survive, you just went out. He never came back in again, right? <laughs> so David has favor. So Saul's excited and said, here's somebody that can kill the Philistines. But then the next verse, and it happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine. Now, we don't know if this is immediately afterward this is sometime after the season of war in the summertime, in the spring, when they had like a season of war, when this season of war is over. And uh, they're returning when David returning from killing the Philistine. That the women came out of the city of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played and said, "Saul has slain his thousands, and David his 10000s Uh oh. Oh. Great song, not so much for David. So this causes Saul, of course, to be jealous. Then Saul became very angry. For the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. So this is a, this is a real short period of time, right? Now came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual and the spear was in Saul's hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped from his presence twice. Like, <clears throat> I don't think I'm, show- I'm showing up for the rest of that uh, worship session. You know, I think I'm, uh, I'm leaving, but he, he tried to kill him twice. Now Saul was afraid of David for the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So he went, you know, in Saul's eyes, he went from hero to zero real quick. And Saul's now wants to kill him. He's jealous. He's jealous. Uh, he's afraid of losing what he has. And he, and he, and he wants what David has. He's both jealous and envious. Uh, so, so now he's he's so now he's got a plot. Now he's now going to now he's going to kill David. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. So, who was he commander of before? All the armies. So now he's demoted him. Now he's made him a commander of a thousand. So he's 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 trying to publicly. Humiliate him. And he went out and came in as before, and David was prospering in his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. So David, David didn't spend this time pouting, Well, you know, I've lost my position. He continues to be faithful as a leader over a thousand, as he was over all of the armies. Secondly, he's, he wants to embarrass David publicly. Then Saul said to David, here's my older daughter, Merib. You remember when he killed Goliath, there were three things he was promised. Wealth, uh, he would get to marry the king's daughter, and he, his family would be free from taxes. Which, you know, most of you would kill a giant for that. Uh, <laughs> so where is he? Where, how, how big can he be? He can't be as big as the IRS. So let's try this. Uh, then Saul said to David, here's my older daughter Merib. I'll give her to you as a wife, only be a valiant man for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, my hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. But David said to Saul, who am I that, and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? And what Saul should have said is, well, remember, I promised wealth and my daughter to you. I'm, these are commitments that I made. I'm, you're, I'm just fulfilling my commitment to you. That's who you are. You're someone who killed Goliath because you killed Goliath. But he doesn't say that. So it came about at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Meholathite, for a wife. So instead of David getting to marry the oldest, and, and every, did everybody know this? Was this like common knowledge that David was going to get to marry the daughter of the king for killing Goliath. So, this is, like, this is like a public, he's trying to, again, he's trying to belittle him, make him seem small. Then, then he discovers something. Now, Micah's, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. So, he discovers that one of his other daughters loves David. And when they told Saul, the thing was agreeable to him. And Saul thought, I will give her to him that she may become a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So I'm going to give him my daughter to trap him. Dysfunctional family much, right? I'm I'm going to use my daughter to get this guy, David, entrapped. So, and Saul thought, I'll give her him that she may a snare to him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David, for a second time, you may be my son-in-law today. Then Saul commanded his servants, speak to David secretly, saying, behold, the king delights in you, a lie, and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words to David, but David said, is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. Now, he shouldn't have been a poor man anymore, right? Because he's supposed to get wealth when he killed Goliath. But apparently that didn't happen. Remember, the devil's a liar and he always lies. He never falls on his promises. Is it trivial on your side to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? <clears throat> and the servants of Saul reported to him according to these words which David spoke. Saul said then, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not require any dowry except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines here we are again (laughs) this just keeps coming up doesn't it Uh, (laughs) this is the this is the defining mark between the israel and everybody else israel is circumcised and circumcision is the symbol of the covenant the philistines were not circumcised so these are not covenant keepers so so you know saul just thinks i'm gonna i'm gonna give him an impossible task that in the midst of this task, he's going to be killed. So, actually, so 104 skins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Now, Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. What ends up happening is David goes, he actually gets 200, brings them back, mar- marries Saul's daughter, Michael. Now, Saul's life and his actions. Saul is suffering. Saul is in pain. He's in he's in emotional agony. He's being tormented. And Saul's life and suffering is the result of his own actions. Galatians six seven says this: Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So Saul is reaping what he's sown. Sometimes our suffering is the result of our own act- actions. sometimes we're where we are because of what we've done. This is where Saul is. Saul is in the middle of this difficulty, this problem, because God's rejected him for his disobedience and his unrepentant heart. He's rejected solely for his own actions that he would never own up to, he would never confess, he he would be sorry, he would be filled with regret, but he never turned away from it. See, repentance means to change direction. In, like in, in the British army, they don't say about face. They say repent. So when they're marching, they say, you know, where we would say about face, they say repent. Because that's what it means. The word repent means to turn away from, to change direction. So Saul was sorry. He'd get caught doing all kinds of stuff. He got, he got caught trying to kill David. He got caught because he didn't obey God with the, killing the... Uh, He was always sorry, but sorry because you got caught is not the same as repentance to change direction. So, you know, a lot of times people that are abusive will beat you up and then be really sorry. And they're really, and they'll say, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. And they don't until they do. And then they're Sorry. But they don't change it 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 requires an acknowledgement not just of of what I did was wrong but it requires a desire within that person's heart to change direction to desire to change direction and to recognize that for a lot of things in life you can't change direction by yourself that you come, to, you come to the Lord and you ask the Lord to help you. And Jesus helps you. So we, when we come to God in salvation, we repent. Now, we can, can we clean ourselves up? Can we make our sins go away? I'm going to be a better person now. I'm going to repent. I'm going to do better. And I'm going to try harder. But that's not how it works. See, we, we come to God and then God does the work. God saves us by the blood of Christ. By the complete work of Christ. He empowers us and enables us to change. So so sometimes we suffer because of stupid stuff we've done. Anybody ever suffered because of stupid stuff you've done, stuff you bought when you shouldn't have bought it, things you said when you shouldn't have said it, things you did when you shouldn't have done it, right? We've We've all done that. Sometimes we suffer because of other people's actions. That's where David is. David is suffering now, not because he's doing bad things. He's actually, he's actually doing well. He's doing things well. He's being faithful to an unfaithful person. He's continuing to be faithful. Evil people do evil things and well-meaning people do foolish things because you just acknowledge that you have and I have, right? We've all done things that cause ourselves to suffer, but often when we cause ourselves to suffer, we drag other people along with us. Or you can make a foolish decision and you can suffer for it. Let's say you drive drunk and you get arrested. You're going to suffer for that. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Who else is going to suffer with you? Well, everybody else who shares in that money pile that you just depleted. The consequences of you having to have a car with a breathing device on it. Not a breathing device. It's not like an Aqualung or anything. (laughs) What's it called? Some of you will know. Uh, <laughs> some of you knew too easy. Oh, fertilizer here. Here, ankle monitor. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, so it, sometimes things happen because of what other people do. So it doesn't mean that the things you're having trouble because they're sin in your life or because you don't have enough faith you know there are there are groups of people that believe if you have trouble if there's anything in your life that needs to be solved the way to, if you can't solve it yourself it's either sin in your life or you don't have enough faith but david had lots of faith and he was not sinning but he was still suffering david's having a lot of trouble right now but not because of he's done all because of what saul is doing it's all a residual effect of Saul's sin, of other people's sin. So we suffer because of what other people do. Sometimes we suffer because of we live in a fallen world where death and sin still are at work. And we're battling that. Uh, evil and death exist. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Very interesting to me passage of scripture. Now there were some present at that time who told jesus about the galileans whose blood pilate had mixed with their sacrifices so apparently for some reason there was a group of galilean worshipers that either got too independent from rome or too rambunctious for rome or they didn't they weren't in the synagogue like they were supposed to be, or they weren't in the temple like they were supposed to be, and they offered sacrifices in such a way that it displeased Pilate, and so Pilate killed them. Maybe they were perceived as rebels or renegades or whatever. They were, the Romans were always afraid. This is why they were afraid of the early church. They were always afraid of gatherings of people. They always believed everything was a coup. They, would, they didn't want soldiers to gather. They didn't like fraternities of soldiers especially. They didn't like any type of gathering because they were fearful. I mean, if you read, most Caesars didn't last very long because their friends would kill them and take their place. That was always a fear. So as the early church began to gather, this was, this was a problem. The it wasn't necessarily so much what they believed, but they did. They were fearful of them gathering. That possibly all these people are going to come together that call themselves Christians, and they're going to try to overthrow the government. So they're fearful of that. So, uh, so we don't know why, but Pilate had killed some of these people. Jesus answered, "Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered that way?" I tell you, no. But unless you repent you too will perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, what Jesus is speaking to, he's speaking to the underlying the- theology of Jesus' day that permeated both the pagan world and The Jewish world, this was the general thought, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That was the general thought of the day. Did you know? I don't know if you know this, that's the general thought today too. That's what people believe. Good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. If I'm good, good people get what they deserve, they get good things. And if I'm bad, bad people get what they deserve, they get bad things. So if bad things are happening to me, I deserve it. It's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of the whole karma thing, all rolled up into just this philosophy. But but if I'm good, if I'm good, you know, there's this kind of moralistic deism that if I'm good, God owes me goodness. God if, if I'm good, then God owes me. Happiness. What Jesus was saying is that, is that God doesn't owe you anything and you all need to repent. And Jesus was saying, listen, there's a level playing field here and it has nothing to do with people's behavior. Good people don't deserve good things and bad people don't deserve bad things. There's bad things that happen to good people and there's good things that, good things that happen to bad people and there's bad things that happen to good people. He said, but here's the, here's the thing, you're all sinners far from God and you need to repent because unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The level playing field is that you're all sinners. See that's what the Pharisees didn't get. The sinners didn't have any trouble being sinners. The prostitutes and the tax collectors, all the people, they knew they were sinners. So when Jesus came to them and offered repentance, they were like, wow. He is, even cares about us, and we know we're reprobates and sinners, but he loves us, and he's offering us forgiveness. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so religious, they thought they were so good that they didn't need repentance. So Jesus said, you got to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of this mentality that you're beyond it, and you don't need it. You're going to miss out. And they did miss out. They missed their messenger because they didn't think they needed salvation. And Jesus is saying, God doesn't owe you because you've been good. But you need to repent. That's your way out. So here's the reality in all of this. So we suffer, we suffer because of things we do. We suffer because of the other things that other people do. And we suffer because we live in a broken, fallen world. You see, God loves you too much to waste the pain and suffering in your life, no matter where it comes from. So that in him you, we can face our fears and our demons and become more like him in the process so no matter what you, why you're going through what you're going through whether you did it somebody else did it or it's just because you live in a we live in a broken fallen world where sickness and disease takes people No no matter why it happened, God wants to use that in in all of our lives. In the suffering that we're in, he wants to use that so that we will learn to trust him. And that's what's happening in David. I want you to see this. This is what's happening in David's life. He's learning to trust God. David is learning to trust God. And you think, "Wait, wait a minute. David? Is learning to trust God I mean didn't this guy like kill a lion with either his bare hands or a slingshot or a wooden stick (laughs) I mean didn't he kill a lion and didn't he kill a bear and then didn't he kill Goliath and didn't he show tremendous faith when everyone was afraid didn't he trust God when nobody else trusted God? Didn't he say, you know, you're, you're not defying me. You're defying, defying the armies of the living God. I mean, didn't he, didn't he seem to have great faith? And he did. But these were events. They weren't daily. These were momentary events. So now what shifted in David is that now he is in constant danger. He had, you see sometimes we can we can trust God for the moment oh I, I believe God's I believe God's in charge I believe God's my savior I believe he's got a hold of me but then we come into the daily the daily stuff and we struggle with laying the daily stuff at his feet This was constant constant fear, not sure what to do. What's the next step? What do I do next? Where do I run next? Should I run? Should I stay? Should I, what should I do? Should I stay here? Should I go to, should I go to Abimelech? Should I go to Moab? Should I go to Samuel in in Ramah? Uh, Should I hide in the cave of, of Adullam? What should I, he didn't know what to do. So daily, so he's daily having to stop and worship and listen and pray Read the word of God so that he'll have some sense of what to do next. He's learning to trust God daily in the spiritual battle. And God is whispering in his ear, hey, you don't know it, but this is what being king is going to be like. It's not going to be just a big event here and there. It's every day you're going to be loaded down. With problem after problem after problem after problem. And you have learned to trust me. But you haven't learned to trust me in everything. We're always, we are always learning to trust him more. We're always learning to trust where we thought we trusted. But then we come up against something. A sickness or a disease or a problem or a circumstance or a lack of money or a loss of job or a loss of life Something that happens and all of a sudden we think We don't feel safe in god's arms. We don't feel that we can trust him So in those in the dailiness, he's helping us learn how to trust him See we have an enemy you got you got to get a hold of this We have an enemy Like david had an enemy We have an enemy that's pursuing us. The Bible says he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy who desires, desires to pursue us and he will pursue us. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to cause you to lose heart. He's whispering his lies in your ears 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week. And most of us, haven't prepared our hearts for the battle we spent very little time in god's presence if this if this how, is how you fight your battles it ain't enough if coming together and singing a couple of songs and sitting under a sermon is how you're going to fight your battles it's great it's wonderful i'm glad you're here but it's not enough It's not that we're earning, we're not earning anything with God. It's not so that God will love us more, so that it will prepare us for the fight. You need to spend a little time in God's gym. He's got a gym. And it's not cardio, but it's it's time in in his presence. It's time in prayer. You know, we just, we all need more time where we, where we sit down and say, okay, God, I think I've got this figured out. I think I know what to do, but what do you think I should do? And then listen, in his word, reading his word, as we pray, let the spirit of God guide us. Most of us haven't prepared our hearts for battle. We've spent too little time in prayer. We've spent too little time in worship. We've spent too little time in the word of God. And I'm not saying that to condemn you. We're all guilty of it. When you realize how deliberate the enemy's attacks are going to be, then we have to recognize if we're in a fight, we have to be ready to fight the battle. We have to learn how to trust God. So here's what David says. Psalm 56, be merciful to me, O God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit all day long. They press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long in their pride. Many are attacking me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Well, they can kill me. But he's coming to terms with that, isn't he? He's coming to terms with that. All day long, they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life because of their wickedness. Do not let them escape in your anger, God. Bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Isn't it amazing that there's a God who saves up your tears? There's a God who's keeping account of your pain, who cares about your suffering. He's not happy little Buddha, whose last words were, keep striving. He's our suffering Savior, whose last words were, it is finished. That's the God we serve. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. But this I will know that God is for me. By this I will know that God is for me. God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? So here's what I think where this meets all of us. We're all always learning to trust God in new areas of undiscovered areas where our fears and our brokenness meet with God's sufficiency. We're learning. In other words, we, we, thought, we thought we trusted God and then we realized we didn't. And so we We learn to trust him more. We learn to depend upon him. We learn to see him as our source. We learn to see him as our supply. We let him deal with our fears. We confess our fears to him. What am I, what I'm afraid of and what I'm afraid is going to happen. So you see, what's, what's David ultimately afraid of? He's afraid of dying. He said, why are they pursuing him to kill him? So twice in this text, he says, I'm not going to fear what mere man can do to me. He, so he's wrestling with it. He, he, he's laying it out before God. He's saying, God, I, I am afraid, but I'm not going to be afraid. I'm afraid. I'm really afraid, but I'm going to trust you and I'm not going to be afraid. And that's, that's the battle. We're, we're, we're learning to trust. So where do you, where, what do you need to give to God. What are you struggling with? What are you afraid of? What are the fears that have got a hold of you that you need to release? Where, where are you learning right now? What are you learning to trust God with right now? Because, you know, every day, it's almost like you get some new pains, new losses, new hurts. So, so learning to trust God is this journey. God wants us to learn to trust Him more and more, that He becomes in all things at all times, our sufficiency. I don't know about you, but I'm—I struggle with this because I'm a kind of a do-it-yourself guy, and it, it, it ends up applying to a lot of areas of my life. And we all need to learn to trust Him more. Amen. So let's stand. So what what do you need to turn over to God today? What do you need to say, "Okay God, I've been worrying about this. I've been fearful about this. I've been anxious about this." You see, but daily the thing about killing Goliath is you kill Goliath and it's done. Daily trusting is you trust God today and you fight today to stand in his word and believe his word and trust what he says and then you wake up at three o'clock in the morning with those fears looming over you bigger than daylight and so you have to fight them again and then you know about 8 30 the next morning or 9 or 11 in other words they just keep showing up and so we, we we learn to trust him in those areas learn to trust him more So if you got just everybody, so nobody's looking around and comparing. Just close your eyes for a second, and you know, just as simple, just put your hands out in front of you, like I've got something I need to give to God. You know what it is, Father. We just come to you today, and we just declare that we're not sufficient, but you are. We rest not in our provision, not in our ability. We rest, Lord, in the fact that you died to make us yours. You died to make us holy and righteous and pure. You died to accomplish what we could never accomplish on our own. And in the same way, Lord, we, 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 we want to trust you. We want to trust what your word says about you. We want to trust what your word says about us and who we are, what you've done for us. And we want to we fight this battle. And like David, we want to say, I shall not fear, all, really, though I'm afraid. Lord, help me to put my trust. Help me to lay it on you. Help me to let go of this. Help me to trust you with my deepest, darkest weaknesses and struggles. In Jesus' name.